It's no surprise that updating the electricity grid today will make for a better tomorrow. Increased self-sufficiency is just one of the benefits. The Great Grid upgrade will also boost the economy and create new green jobs. And best of all, you can continue doing the things you love, like watching the latest epic nature documentary or listening to this podcast while caring for the planet too. Find out more at nationalgrid.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat-up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well, then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Hello and welcome to the Country Farm Magazine podcast. My name's Fergus Collins, I'm the editor of the magazine, and with me in the studio to talk about our November issue are Joe Tinsley, our features editor. Hello there. Dave Perrett, our production editor. H- hello. And Abigail White, our editorial assistant. Hello. Um, the November issue, you can't miss it in the shops this month, it's got the lovely John Craven on the cover. And he's standing there exploring Dunstanburg Castle in Northumberland as part of our quest and his quest to find Britain's most romantic ruin. Now, you may think that's a fairly spurious idea, that uh, romantic ruins, it's quite a subjective, subjective thing. But actually, why do we have so many piles of stones hidden around the countryside? Why do we all visit them in such huge numbers? I mean, actually, we could talk about it amongst the team here. Do you love visiting ruins and why do you go, go to see them? Well, yeah. yeah, well, I mean, I, I, I think uh, a ruined castle has so much more to offer than one that's intact. I mean, it's not a, a red sort of carpet attraction. You have to walk down, uh, you know, and look at sort of artefacts as you're going and be, be kind of kept away from all the best bits. You can kind of scramble over it and walk to them, explore them at your own pace. And they've got a kind of brooding atmosphere, I think. I mean, that's one thing that came out of the judging is what I was looking for was something that's got that really sort of dark brooding atmosphere i mean dunstanburg castle for instance it's got waves crashing against well not against it but near it on the rocks it's got not one but two ghost stories attached to it so we spent an afternoon um in the office here looking at these 50 wonderful ruins and whittled it down to 10 um but there's a lot of argument involved and not everybody agrees with our final 10 um you can see them in the november issue and vote for your own but what what did what did what did you think abigail was there any that we missed from the 10 I was disappointed that Tintin Abbey didn't make the final 10. I actually drive past Tintin Abbey every day on the way to work and and back home. And um, yeah, every time I drive past it, I I see it early in the morning when it's shrouded with morning mist and it's backed by 
know, beautiful forest and it you know, strikes me as being very romantic. It is a lovely setting and, mm. and that's kind of how we, we judge these things was setting, how many people visit them. Mm. Um, they're kind of stories involved with these places, the history and, and purely their beauty. So, Dave, are there any? That, what, what do you think of romantic ruins? Well, I don't find them that romantic, I must say. But what I do like about them is uh, the mystery and exploring them, and perhaps trying to think about how they became ruins. I kind of picture armies um, flagged around it and, and cannons firing at different sites. Um, just yeah, it's not a very about, romantic image, is it? No, not <laughs> not particularly. But that doesn't mean I find them any less appealing. But so I really love them, but. Perhaps I don't find them that romantic. Well, I, I can see what you mean. It's the stories behind them yeah. that make them powerful. It's what you were saying, Joe. that um, if something is, is ruined, like the little church in the middle of Bristol, mm. Castle Park, there's this ruined church, which was a medieval church bombed by the Nazis in the Second World War, and it was never repaired. And because it's a ruin, it's a reminder to everybody who passes by about the suffering, Bristol's suffering in the Second World War, the number of people who died here in the Blitz. Um, and that has an extraordinary power which if they'd rebuilt the church and just put some memorials inside, it would never have the same effect on passers-by. So we were, I think from this 10, the 10 we, we've picked, each of them has their own story and evocative sense of the past, which um, uh, visitors get when you visit there. Mm. Um, but furthermore, from these 10, we want you to, we want to find out the best, the number one. So we've, um, we've, we're asking readers and visitors to our website to select their favourite romantic room. So you can find out more about this wonderful challenge by visiting our website at bbccountryfiremagazine.com and let us know your votes. And we'll publish the winning um, uh, the winning romantic room appropriately in our February issue, So along with St Valentine's Day. <laughs> so what else is in the magazine this month? Um, Jay, perhaps you could take things on and tell us what, what else November has to offer. Well, of course, it's um, the beginning of autumn. Um, well, autumn's well underway by the time you'll be um, listening and reading the magazine. Um, and Autumn Watch has returned to our screens. Uh, so to celebrate, we've done a special Great Days Out section, um, looking at the best autumn nature um, from sort of mushroom foraging through to um, autumn wildlife spectacles going on around the country and um, sort of best day trips, walks and sort of experiences that you can get involved in. So, so while you're watching Chris Packham and Kate Humble doing the live show... You can actually get out and see some of the things oh, exactly. yourself. We tell you where to go and see some of these these great places. Yeah, I mean, Ab- Abigail, you went on a, a fungus foray for us, didn't you? Yes, I did. Um, it was near Raida in the Elan Valley. And I was so glad to go there because it's where I used to go um, as a kid with my family. We'd all uh, go there to see the reservoirs and the dams and hope that they were switched on. It's right in the middle of Wales, isn't it? Elan yes. Valley. And that's so, amazing yeah. at this time it's of year. Like, so as soon as you stunning. get some um, rainfall, it just thunders over the top, doesn't mm. it? Oh, yes, it's very wet <laughs> as well. Um, but, yeah, I'm a, a, a fungi man, as I like to call <laughs> him, called, the expert, called Daniel Butler. Fun guy. Yes, he's a very fun guy. <laughs> and he took you out for a day, did he? And, and... Yes, he did. He's a, He actually used to be um, an environmental journalist and he lived in London um, up until about 17 years ago. He decided to quit the rat race and and moved to the Yilan Valley where he's been ever since and, and foraging ever since. So yeah, he takes people out on these wonderful day trips, picking chanterelles and babelites. And, and what, what did they taste like? Did they taste different from your average shop-bought? Um, oh, just or? so much more flavour, so much more tang to them that mm. you just wouldn't get in your, in your average mushroom. And I do love mushrooms. Yeah. 
but these were I'd never tried anything like these before because I don't like mushrooms I'm quite famous for you know I'll, I'll eat generally everything apart from mushrooms is it just the texture it's a, te- it's a wibbly thing yeah they're just, oh. they're, it's wrong um but I, my friends found the other day this massive puffball mushroom in um, secret location in uh, Somerset, and um, brought it back and we sort of cooked it up. And I did, I did try some, and it was amazing because it just sucks up all the flavour. But it's about three times the size of my head. Oh, you can get them very huge. We didn't see any um, puffballs, unfortunately. Well, mm. the ones that we did see were were far gone; they'd already rotted down. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, Daniel told me that he uses he uses sliced up puff balls mm. in the, to make lasagna sheets yeah yeah because yeah. it is it's perfect for like pasta or it, mm. it kind of has the same sort of consistency as omelette or you yeah. know tofu or something like that yeah it's brilliant so dave will you be doing any sort of wildlife explorations with your kids um yeah i think the main thing that we'll be doing is um going out there kicking through the leaves and looking for conkers <laughs> <laughs> yeah. i know it's um, pretty basic but that's what we like doing, you know, trying to find some conkers. Conkers are the best part of autumn, though, yeah. aren't they? I've <laughs> never actually... had a conker fight. Well, we're actually having a BBC official conker fight, aren't That's we? <laughs> Country wait. file versus the other magazines in the building. Um, so, yeah, within a week, you'll, you'll know. The joys of conquering. And the great thing is about having children is that you can scurry about looking for conkers with, uh, you know, <laughs> without seeming foolish, which is brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, that's the great thing. Children are, 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 are you know, take you back into their world. Uh, Jacob planted a conker about a year ago in a um, in a lemonade empty lemonade bottle. Then we transplanted it out into the garden, and now it's got too big for the garden. So we took it down <laughs> to some woodland that we know, and we keep going there every so often, every couple of weeks or so, and keep checking it out. And that's it's amazing. getting bigger and bigger. How and bigger. big is it now? Well, it's only about two or three feet, but you can, good. Gre- good. you can see. You can see green shoots coming off the top all the time so, so yeah it's looking good hopefully it survives he'll be taking his children to get conkers from yeah it, from well we keep worrying that someone's going to step on it but no one has as yet so hopefully it'll survive and on the subject of taking your children out into nature we've got a lovely feature about the sort of kit that you can you can get hold of to inspire them to watch birds search for bugs and beetles and and basically get out there and enjoy the, the, the natural world instead of staying indoors and watching it, watching it all on TV. That said, Autumn Watch is an unmissable TV experience, so um, do try and catch Chris and uh, Kate Humble this, this autumn. It begins on October the 7th, I believe, on yes. BBC Two. Mm. What else is in the issue? Dave, any favourites that um, you've, you've picked up? Um, yeah, I've, my favourite feature in a magazine is about weather law. It's written by... Um, a phrase historian, Ruth Binney, um, and she explores a lot of old sayings to do with weather and whether they're true or not, such as red sky at night, shepherd's delight, that sort of thing, as to whether there is any tr- any actual scientific truth in that saying. It's very interesting. So, you know, if you read the issue, you'll find out whether lying down cows means rain on the way and whether hibernating ladybirds um, mean a, a harsh winter and that sort of thing it's really yeah, it's interesting quite, and there's a good cloud guide as well because i didn't know my clouds at all and now i feel i'd feel quite confident i will still be watching the country for weather forecast oh, of course, could, you, you loyal i'm not, man, I'm not that man. much of an expert um and the magazine's full of full of similar features um We've got the country file, the results of the country file photographic competition, the 12 winning entries, um, which will feature in next year's country file calendar. And we have a big feature, um, which I was lucky enough to, to write, about the Yorkshire Worlds, which um, 
are a funny set of hills at the, on the east riding of Yorkshire. So most people think of Yorkshire as being the, the Dales and the Yorkshire Moors, these very grand hills and valleys, big national parks, lots and lots of press about them. But if you head to the east of the county, north of Hull and sort of south of Scarborough, east of York, there's this lovely, lovely countryside of just gentle rolling hills with beautiful villages. And I spent four days there back in the summer just exploring quietly and popping into pubs, talking to local people, visiting the villages, and I was able to get enough... I thought it was just enough of a story to write a big feature about it. So, um, And one of the highlights for me was meeting a local historian called Paul Schofield, who took me around the ancient uh, city of Beverly, which I'd never been to before, and just showed me all the wonderful history from ancient times through Vikings and Saxons, Normans, Georgians, all the way through to, to the modern day. And it was a real it was a lovely trip. So we've got a little recording that I did on the day to give you a taste of um, Paul's romantic tour of Beverly. So what I normally do then, I'll do a very quick introduction about why Beverly is here, yeah. how it gets its name and things like that. Because the origins of it goes back a long time, probably as early as about the year 700 AD, when there was then the Bishop of York, mm-hmm. John, he retired and he founded a monastery somewhere in this area, probably where the Minster is over, right. over there. Um, so he founded a little church and a monastery on the site, and then he died, and he became famous for performing miracles. <laughs> and he was eventually canonised, and he was made St John of Beverly. And if your settlement could have a saint, it was just wonderful. Yes, that so does he, help. Yeah, he had pilgrims coming to worship at the shrines, so he had to provide markets, accommodation, inns and taverns. It brings in a lot of money. Certainly, yeah, yeah, so it's great to have your saints. And then it was also, people forget it was a port, even before the days of Hull being a port, because um, you've got lots of, uh, we call them becks in this part of the world, so mm-hmm. these streams that drain through off the Yorkshire walls yes. come through Beverly, and it's a big beck around the corner of the Beverly Beck, and that takes you down to the River Hull, and from the Hull you get to the Humber. So that was navigable? Yeah, yeah, it still is, yeah. Is it? Yeah, oh, there's right, so barges really... and things down there, yeah. Uh, right. And, um, yeah, it was like a medieval canal, really, when mm-hmm. it was, when it was, so it, it was a natural waterway, but it was sort of can- made into a canal in sort of medieval times. And of course, from the Humber, you get off to the to the continent. So there's a little thriving little European port down there. I that, didn't know that. That's yeah, and there's a little street called Fleming Gate, <laughs> and that meant the street of the Flemish because they were obviously connected with the Beck and the port and everything. Um, and one of the big industries in the town was the cloth industry, and the export because of the wool. Yeah, the wool. That's right. Yeah. yeah, they can make it in this area and dye it, and then they sent it on ships across to to Europe. So they weren't being big vessels; they were quite small vessels, but they were accessible to the sea. And that's how the town gets its name as well, because before they became extinct in this country, you had beavers swimming in the, in oh, the stream. Okay. So the first part of Beverly's name is from Beaver, mm. and the town's badge is a beaver above the water. And a lee, there's a bit of a dispute, but I always think of a lee as a clearing in a woodland, mm-hmm. and there was a very ancient forest all the way around here, uh, parts of which remain in the westward over, over which there. Which is almost a like a common. Common land, that's it, yeah, um, where the cattle graze and everything. And that's where the race course is on the... On the westward uh, over there, nice. yeah. So, yeah, so these beavers used to swim in these streams. And then it, it sort of suffered, because it, it, it's proximity to Hull. Hull was a really strong um, player in the English Civil War. It was a parliamentary stronghold. Right. And what happened was you had either the, the parliamentary forces trying to defend Hull around Beverley, or you had the royalist forces trying to take Hull with the sieges. And, and it seems the town did sort of suffer during that that period, but then it recovered from that and I think it's heyday was the, the Georgian period, it's the 1700s, fabulous Georgian Lots of Georgian properties, yeah some great buildings, and the race course was laid out, there were assembly rooms, mm. it was like a, a little version of York in that respect and ever since then it's been a very very sort of fashionable town to, to live in. But yeah, this is, this is my favourite building in, in the town, this is the remains of the friary 
uh, technically a priory, but everybody calls it the friary. So, mm. which was it was um, the Dominicans. They were the Black Friars who came to Beverley in the mm. middle of the 1200s, and they established a big area here, which extended beyond where the railway is over, over there. And so was, this was their land. There. This was their yeah. This was their property. They lived. They were mendicant order, which meant they were beggars. So they mm. tended to live amongst the poor. It was quite interesting. Mm. Um, and there's a community of about 39 friars mm. occupied here. And then you had the disillusion of the monasteries, and obviously the friars were removed. Yes. And the buildings that were left were actually converted into little houses. And people used to live in these right through to the 1960s. And it's hard to imagine there was a big factory here called Armstrong's that made car components. And they applied for planning permission to have this pulled down in the 60s. Oh, and only at the last minute they were denied permission. How many things were lost? Oh, I know, yeah. Yeah, well, the country. Country. yeah, I know, I know. And anyway, so... Armstrong's re- sort of closed down mid eighties, and then the trust was set up to renovate and convert the building. They did a wonderful job, and it's now used as the youth hostel. It's one of the most unusual youth hostels. It's, anyway. it's got that sense of sort of friars. It has, still, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, the, absolutely. The, the yeah. Poor and shif- yeah. shifty. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're right. Shifty, shifty. Yeah, I know what you mean though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it has got that Foot feel loose. about it. Yeah, I know, and. Uh, and, I, and also, I think it's come full circle. So I'm pretty sure they would have provided accommodation for pilgrims coming yes, to worship at the Minster. Yes. And again, it's providing accommodation for That's what they were supposed for visitors. to do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So it's, and it, a lot of people don't know about it because it's hidden away, you know. So interesting. And so this, this is a medieval building. Yeah, 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 yeah. Medieval, on, yeah, or just on the cusp of early Tudor, yeah. Yeah. But, um, and it's really charming, yeah. It's lovely. It's, it's got sort of soft lines. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I love it, I, you yeah. know. I, of the place What's and it's sorry yeah there's a, there's a sort of um, the figure the, the stone is a tomb or something yeah like I think it's probably there was a church on the site I'm not too sure but I've got a feeling it came from the church when they were the archaeologists were digging around there they called it I think the lady at the front there oh, it looks female from yeah she is yeah she's got a little uh, porch over her head to protect her <laughs> so uh, and there's, a, there's an architectural motif you get in this part of Yorkshire with the, the bricks on the gable ends and it's got a name it's called Tumble Gabling or Tumbling and it's because they were so good with bricks. They were just, you know, it's like a signature, I think. But it also so, gives strength to the, the gable ends as well. So they build in these little wedges. Yeah, the wedges, yeah. yeah. And it's quite break. a feature. And once you see them once, you notice them on all oh, the buildings okay. as you go. Yes, I was wondering about that. You see it in the walls as well, there's a lot of buildings. Yeah. It's, it's, it's predominantly East Yorkshire, Lincolnshire, a bit further south mm-hmm. as well. All the eastern side. There's strong links with Lincolnshire here. So, well, well, not, not really, no, no. The, the, the river's a massive divide, yeah, yeah. It's a, yeah. that's a really unknown county. <laughs> I know, tourists, yeah. It and, is, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You're right, it's a bit yeah, a bit like the walls really. Yeah. It's um Yeah, but it's a big divide, yeah. <laughs> the accent's different and oh, yeah, okay. where York we're definitely Yorkshire, they're definitely Lincolnshire, you know. So. They're yeah. soft southerners, isn't it? So, <laughs> well, yeah. We call them the yellow bellies. <laughs> but um, they call us something else. But uh, <laughs> Make a podcast. Oh, that's yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> good, wouldn't it? Yeah. I'm sure if it's a ding. There's one bell missing on that one. Really? Yeah, Mr. Ding out there. <laughs> I know it because you get used to it. But yeah, the Vincent, it's been rightly described as one of the most magnificent Gothic churches anywhere in Europe. It's a fantastic church. And they started to build it to the east in the year 1220 on the site of an even older church, it's been the previous church on the mm-hmm. site, which bent down 
and then there was a, the tower collapse as well. It was quite a problem around here, the collapse of the towers. Um, so they started to rebuild it in 1220, and they built it really in three stages, ending in the year 1420 with the, the magnificent tower. So it took 200 years to complete the entire church. And if you just come to it, you've actually... You That's see... a lot of medieval lifetimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was family, yeah, sons of sons of sons, yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can see the three stages, because there's the, 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 they call it the early English style over there. That was the first phase, with the very simple lancet windows. Yeah. Then you've got the decorated period, just here, with the shapes in the tracery. Then there was a stop here at this doorway, and then you see it changes again. And the windows are different, oh, the lines going through. So this and is very much um, the Lancastrian. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, and the perpendicular and everything pointed up and everything. And there, there is a theory that, that they stopped building the Minster here in 1349, and that's quite a significant date because that's when the Black Death came to this oh, part okay. of the auction. So I think it may have killed many of the, the masons working mm. on the, the church. And it's only when the town had recovered they could start to rebuild it. And by that time, there was a change in the styles of fashions and architecture. It's really interesting to see this change of fashion. Yeah, yeah, in, yeah. In so All in one, yeah, it's got the three the three phases of the Gothic building in, in one you know one go. So that's that's the area. So that's twelve twenty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, thirteenth century. Yeah, that's yeah. it. And then yeah, up to about thirteen fifty this, and then fourteen twenty, and mm. early fourteen hundreds afterwards. And as a stunning, I did nip in earlier. This oh, stunning building. Oh, yeah, it's yeah, stunning it's great. Building, yeah. So. And, and again, not what I think because York obviously is like yeah. a sort of magnet for people. It is, it is, yeah. And it, it's sort of people might not come to Beverly. No, but, no, uh, that's and if anything more beautiful. It is, well, lots of people say that, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, um, it is, there's something very elegant about it. So, this is this is Highgate, um, so this was the main street running through the town all the way to the. So in Viking times or, a, yeah, or medieval called, times? Yeah, medieval times, yeah. It was, um, it was called Alta Via, Alta Via, the long street through the town, and it became Highgate. He had, had a nickname, though, in the 1600s. He got in the name of Londoners Street, because lots of London people rented properties oh, when they were going to the markets and the, yeah. and the fairs. It's, I think it's interesting that... In those days, people did move around the country a lot. Yes, and probably more, more than, than yeah. a lot of people I know today. <laughs> You're probably right on that. Yeah. Even though it, I like all that you said, that part of history, all that movement of people, yeah. and I, I'm fascinated by that. And why, you know, it's work usually why you know yes. where you got employed, and, yeah. and it had a big impact. But yeah, this this is it may be the oldest pub in the town. It's called the Monk's Walk, mm. um, but before that, it had been called the Georgian Dragon. And I recently found some reports that the pilgrims, when they were going to the Minster, they used to meet at an ancient inn called the, the George. And we'd just been the Georgian Dragon, and then we'd go inside, and it's timber-framed and everything. So I've got a feeling this could be the pub they were, they were talking it's about. ancient pub. Yeah. Well, I think we'll have to go inside. <laughs> oh, well, we have to, yeah. yeah. Part of historical research. Should we go in this way? This looks just amazing. Incredible brass freeze. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Can I get you a... Uh, Oh, well, the black sheep would be. Black sheep. Is, yeah. that, is that the, um, the drink of it's, you've recommended? Yeah, is it local? It's, well, yeah, it's brewed on the It's brewed on the walls. Fantastic. I have had that in the south, but only in a bottle. Have you? So, um, yeah. so it's a nice pint. So as I hope you heard from that clip, Paul and I had a lovely evening walking around Beverly. And uh, Paul, if you're listening, thanks very much for that. It was a real education and, and great fun. And that just about rounds it up for our November issue of the podcast. Um, it only leaves us to say goodbye to you all and thanks for listening. Goodbye. 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 goodbye.